When your cable company keeps you on hold, you get angry. When you get angry, you go blow off steam. When you go blow off steam, accidents happen. When accidents happen, you get an eye patch. When you get an eye patch, people think you're tough. When people think you're tough, people want to see how tough. And when people want to see how tough, you wake up in a roadside ditch. Don't wake up in a roadside ditch. Get rid of cable and upgrade to DirecTV. Hey, well, that is a pretty common advertising tool, isn't it? Uh, the tool of comparison, showing their product next to somebody else's product, and it works, doesn't it? Because who wants to end up in a roadside ditch? So we all better just go out and get direct TV. But it works. I mean, it influences our decisions. The more and more ads we th see comparing one thing to another, the more and more we are inclined to get that thing that prevents generally something bad from happening in our lives or gives us something that we want in our lives. It works with products and comparison also works almost way too well when it comes to people. It's something that we all do with uh, other people. We compare ourselves to other people. We compare our lives with other people. We compare things that other people have to the things we have in our own lives. We compare ourselves to others all the time. An example of this was this week, actually, this past week on Tuesday, uh, I was um, uh, in the process, and, and some of you are definitely in this boat, you're, you're trying to manage uh, your family and work or trying to find work, and, and it's just, it's a bit of a challenging time right now, and we're, we're definitely trying to wrestle that uh, and deal with that, and so I was in the process, it was, it was nap time for our two-year-old, and I was in the process of doing some research on uh, our new Infused Church app, because this week, hopefully this week, um, in the middle of the week, we're going to release a brand new app, uh, and it's going to be really nice, actually. It's much cleaner. It's uh, easier to watch things. It'll be able to engage with your kids on it and take some next steps a lot easier. It's just going to be great. And so I was doing some research, trying to figure out some better ways we can improve, and I thought to myself, oh, um, I should take a look at this other church and kind of see some of the things they're doing to kind of get an idea of maybe some things that we can do a better job in of our context. And so I, I was looking at this other church, and I was looking at their app, and as I looked at it and I saw some really good ideas, um, my blood pressure started to go up. In fact, I got a little stressed out because I saw things in that app that I wanted in our app. I wanted them <laughs> and I wanted to make it possible. And, and as I thought about those new ideas, those good ideas, I also thought to myself, how in the world am I going to make that happen in the next few days? How am I going to fit that in to my already busy schedule? And maybe you've had a situation like that. And so eventually um, I, I pick up my two-year-old, we, we get into her bed, we're reading our children's books and my blood pressure is, my heart is just pumping because I am just stressed out. I'm in, honestly, one of the most relaxing environments reading children's books while also being exceptionally anxious and tense simply because I was comparing myself and what I had to what I wanted and what other people had. And I realize what I'm about to say next sounds just exceptionally silly but I'm assuming it's also something that if you think about it, you could relate to. I was comparing myself and our church app to a church that has a weekly average attendance of around 85,000 people, and they have 30 physical campuses around the United States. 
Is that reasonable? Hopefully at home you're saying no. But we've all done this, haven't we? We've all, and maybe a situation comes to your mind, and, and maybe it doesn't, but we've all compared ourselves even to a ridiculously high standards of people we see on TV, people we see on social media, and we fall victim to what a, a pastor that I follow uh, called the land of Ur. Andy Stanley um, described it as the land of Ur. In fact, some of you are kind of familiar with this concept. Uh, I think some of you did this, uh, a group study on comparison in one of your small groups here at Infuse, but they talked about the land of Ur, the land of Ur. And the land of Ur consists of a number of things. Some examples include being bigger, having better, being faster, being more beautifuler, that's a word, smarter, Wealthier, stronger, happier, taller, more married-er. If you're single, maybe you're trying to find someone and you wish and hope that you could be more married-er. And if it's not you, you take some of those things and, and you apply them to your spouse. You compare your spouse to other spouses. You wish your spouse was kinder. You wish your spouse was better. You look at your kids and you compare your kids to other people's kids and you wish your kids were faster. You wish they were smarter. You even will do this with your pets. You'll look at other people's pets and you'll be like, I wish my pet was cooler like those other people's pets. And in this series where we're talking about do-it-yourself projects, where we've talked about how there's so many parts of our life's, uh, life and decisions that can become a project, especially in the midst of the, the challenging pandemic that we're in right now, where there are more and more challenges, which means it feels like we're taking more and more responsibility and projects onto our shoulders. We make projects out of the things that we compare ourselves to in others, like and most of us think do-it-yourself projects in the terms of like construction projects, but some of us have remodeled our homes, gotten a new kitchen, upgraded, spent money, changed our expectations simply because we saw someone else do the same thing. And we wanted that and we created new projects that otherwise wouldn't have happened had we not seen other people having that same thing. Because someone else had it, we want it. And these days, when we are all on the internet a lot more, when we're all on social media a lot more, I see this happening more and more because we are so tempted to compare. And then we will do things that we otherwise normally wouldn't do. Had there not been a pandemic, some of you wouldn't have bought the things that you have since bought or not bought or in, invested or, or built relationships in ways that you otherwise wouldn't have, but you saw other people do it, and so you wanted to do it too. In the midst of the economic struggle we're going through now and, and likely will continue to go through for, for many months ahead, this is going to be a real temptation for people. As you are tempted to make comparisons against other people and say, I used to have that and I want it back. I deserve that because I've worked as hard and just because I've lost my job and they haven't doesn't mean I deserve it any less or they got lucky or you'll justify your way into whatever you kind of just want anyways, just simply based on comparison. Comparison and the land of Ur is like saying, I want what I don't have and I know I don't have it because I saw that other people do. 
I want what I don't have, and I know I don't have it because I saw that other people do. And then there's the other half of this whole comparison complex, and it's another er, and it's called superior. Superior. Like, I have what they don't have, and because I do, I'm better than you. I have what they don't have, and because I do, I'm better than you. And deep down, there's some of us who like this. Deep down, there's some of us who strive to achieve this, to be superior to other people, that other people aren't as strong as we are. Other people aren't as happy as we are. Other people aren't as married as we are. Other people aren't as wealthy as we are. And we, deep down, kind of like that. Full transparency, that's me. The part of my personality, or my personality just in general, makes me more disposed to the superior complex, trying to my issues of pride and, and just trying to be better than other people. That's where I struggle the most. Now, there is nothing wrong, and I'm not teaching against things like bettering yourself and growing and having uh, you know, ambition or goals. I'm not saying any of those things are bad, okay? I'm just saying what's bad is how you're getting to where you are going, how you're getting to the better, how you're getting to the growth. What's motivating you to get there? What's happening on the inside that, that drives you to get that next best thing? Because if it is comparison, it isn't a great way of getting there. Comparison is an issue that you read about throughout the entire biblical story. Uh, many, many, many authors, Peter and Paul and the gospel writers talking about it, Jesus and many Old Testament examples talk about this comparison issue and how this comparison issue plays out. And there's this little tiny verse that's tucked away in a book that most of us have probably never read called Ecclesiastes. In the Old Testament, so the first half of the Bible, there's the Old Testament and then there's the New Testament. The New Testament is about Jesus and the Old Testament is pre-Jesus. And this book of Ecclesiastes, we believe, is written by a man named Solomon, which may ring a bell. Um, you may have heard of a guy named King David, maybe, if you grew up in church, especially King David. He had a son. His name was Solomon, and Solomon was a king. And um, one, some of the ancient literature around that time describes Solomon as one of the wisest people who have ever lived. And as one of the wisest people that have ever lived, he wrote a lot of wise things down. And he wrote what we know or call as wisdom literature. And so some of his wisdom literature is included in this book called Ecclesiastes. And they are profoundly applicable 3,000 years ago when he wrote it. And they are just as profoundly applicable as it is today, 3,000 years later. And so this little verse in the middle of Ecclesiastes chapter 4, which is where we're going to look at here first, and then we're going to jump to another part, is very, very applicable. Here's, here's what um, Solomon said. He said, then I observed that most people, the majority of people, are motivated to success, to goals, to bettering yourself, to having more, bigger, better, faster, all that stuff, success, because they envy their neighbors. Because they envy their neighbors. Like me, they, they look at other churches and compare them, their church, to other churches. 
Maybe like you, you look at social media and you see your life in contrast with the lives of those who post pictures about it. Or Pinterest, you see things that other people have and other people will sell you for quite a price. And you want that. They have it, you want it. Homes, cars, kids, we do it all the time. We see success or success in others and we want it. We envy it, we covet it, we want it. And therefore, we create DIY projects around that in our minds and in our hearts to achieve what we perceive as success. And then we use our neighbors and their behaviors and their choices as justification for ours, don't we? How many times have you made a trip to Target? How many times have you clicked the buy button on Amazon or went to that jewelry store or looked at some other job options, hired that contractor, went to that dating site, even broke up a relationship because you thought there was something better and you saw that something better and you wanted that something better, that you wanted to be better than others if you had that better thing and you tell yourself you deserve it. That's what Solomon's talking about. And then in this next little verse, this is where Solomon shows his wisdom. This is where he talks about the real value of comparison. Here's what he says. But this comparison, too, is meaningless. Meaningless. It's like chasing the wind. So here's what I want you to do right now is I want you to just take a second, go outside, preferably have uh, a neighbor or friend or your spouse record you trying to chase the wind and then send me the video because I want to watch how that looks. You trying to chase and catch the wind. And if anyone asks what in the world you're doing, please do not mention me or Infuse Church when you tell them what you're doing. Just say, I'm chasing the wind. That's ridiculous, isn't it? Because you can't chase, you can't chase, you can't catch the wind. That's Solomon's point. You can't catch the wind and you can't catch comparison. You can't catch the wind and you can't catch comparison. There will always be, and you know this deep down, there will always be someone better than you. There will be always someone bigger than you with bigger things than you. You will never catch it. You will never get ahead of the curve. For example, think financially. When is enough enough? Like if I challenge you right now, get out a piece of paper, get out your phone or something, okay? And, and write down a number, a number, an amount of money that if you had that amount, then you would never be stressed again. You'd be, peace. You'd be at peace. You'd never covet someone else's stuff. You'd never compare yourself to others. If you had that amount of money, you'd be good. You'd be content. Now, maybe for some of you, you could be content for a few years even, maybe. You, you may be able to look at your financial situation and be content for a few years. You could maybe look at the things you bought and be content with those things for a few years. You could look at that trip or couple of trips that you took and be content with those for a few years. But then that becomes the new normal, the new standard. And from there, you're looking for people who are above that standard to compare to, to drive you to that next best thing. And you will then continue to live your life trying to catch the wind, trying to catch 
comparison. And you know deep down that it won't work. You will never be able to get ahead of everyone else. So then we need to ask this question, this critical, critical question. Why do you compare? Why then do you compare yourself to others? Why do you let comparison get to you? Why do you look at the many pro- uh, the projects in your life? Like for me, I'm going to look at preaching and how do I preach better or how do I be a better dad? And how do, why do you look at the, the, the projects in your life, maybe the business you wanted to start or are starting or in the process of maintaining or keeping alive? Why do you look at the career that you have or you're trying to keep alive or, or the career you're trying to get now given all the circumstances? Why do you look at your kitchen and your lawn and your appearances and your car? Why do you ultimately compare those things to others? Why does it have such a grip on you? Why do you post your accomplishments on Facebook all the time? Look at what I did. Look at what I accomplished. Why why does it stress you? Why does it cause angst in you? Why is it when you compare yourselves to others, it doesn't help you feel free. It makes you feel enslaved and trapped. And all you can help to do is drive yourself to get that next best thing. Why? I want to let you in on a little secret. I want to let you in on what this is ultimately about comparison. What is it ultimately about? It's ultimately about you. It's about you and you comparing and then you feeling behind and ultimately that you feel less than, that you question your worth. You question your worth. Because my friends, when we are unsure, when we doubt, when we question our worth, we will do so many crazy things. Even chasing the wind to feel like we're valuable. We will spend money that we don't have. We will buy things we don't need. We will move ourselves uh, across the country. We will move our family across the country. We will start or end relationships simply to protect in our minds and our hearts, simply to improve in our minds and our hearts, our worth, your worth. And then what's so interesting is we will seek the validation of those we compare ourselves to. Those who were the catalyst to our decision to try to get better, to buy that thing, then we will go to them and say, look at what I have now. We'll leverage those whom catalyzed or began this whole thing and look for their validation. We will question ourselves. We will question whether or not we've really gotten better or if we need to do more if we're good enough or if we're valuable enough. The unfortunate reality of questioning our worth is it is a powerful motivator that will continue to keep us looking around. You, the question of your worth keeps you looking around versus looking up. 
looking around at everybody else rather than looking up. And here's my encouragement to you to consider maybe defining your worth, really just an invitation to you to a new way of defining your worth. Because how do you know how much you're worth? How do you know how much you're worth? How do you know what anything's worth? How do you know what something is worth? You know how something is worth by the price someone will pay for it, right? And you've had this happen a number of times if you've ever tried to sell something. You, like you think it's, it's worth this much, that this is how much it's valued at, okay? Maybe your house or car or clothing or something, but then nobody makes an offer on it. And it's frustrating, isn't it? Because you think that's how much the price should be. That's how much th- it's valuable to me. But nobody gives you an offer. And it's frustrating to you until you lower the price enough where then someone offers you the cash for it. And they buy it. And you're left with knowing the value of that thing. The value of a thing is the price that it will bring. So understanding your value is kind of important then to define how much you're worth. So you kind of just should try to auction yourself off, right? Kidding, partially kidding. Because in Christianity, that's actually kind of a key idea is identifying how much you're worth. And Christianity is pretty clear about how much you're worth. So pay attention because Peter, uh, Peter who followed Jesus, Peter who was one of Jesus' closest followers, Jesus who, uh, Peter who walked on water or tried to walk on water, Peter who denied Peter, who Jesus then put in charge, kind of more or less after he rose again, tells us how much we are worth. Here's what he said in 1 Peter chapter 1. For you know that God paid. God paid for something. What did he pay? He paid a ransom to save who? You. From the empty life you have inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold, silver, which lose their value. In other words, God set a price for you. God set a price for you to save you from your empty life. Your empty life of of chasing the wind, of missing the mark, which is what's called sin. When we miss the mark, when we miss the mark with others and we miss the mark with God, that's called sin. God paid for you to save you from that. It didn't just pay gold and he didn't just pay silver because those lose their value. I mean, think about this. Today, we define the price of gold and silver based on a piece of paper slash cotton. I mean, a dollar bill. That's how much we def- define the, the value of gold and silver. We, we use paper to define it. It's kind of weird, isn't it? Because the value of gold and silver will change. And so God wanted to pay for you and a thing that's value was not questioned. A thing that made it very clear how much you're worth. Peter goes on. It was the precious blood of Christ. It's the precious blood of Jesus the sinless, spotless lamb of God. God's son 
was what you're worth. God's son came to the world, not to condemn it, but to save it. Jesus died, and when he died, he set your worth. How much are you worth? You're worth the son of God. That is a core Christian belief that you're worth so much more than any car you drive, house you live in, success that you have or don't have, your kids, the medals or plaques or awards that you have on your wall or your paycheck. All of those things pale in comparison. I mean, think about this, Christian or not, if God had a son, God, creator of the universe, creator of the world, creator of you and me, God had a son and he had his son pay for you with his life. That is an incredible value. You are a incredible value. He offered his own son. That's how worthy you are. He called you because of Jesus' sacrifice. He calls you and he calls me son and daughter because that's how much you're worth. How can you live free and at peace in this world with all the things that you compare yourself to is when you first define your value and your worth as loved by God. That God's spirit dwells in you. And that's how you know how much you're worth. That love on the cross is what defines your worth. That's how much God loves you. And that's how God defines your worth. So do you want to? Question, do you want to? Do you want your worth set by the world around you or the God who loves you? Do you want your worth set by the world, your neighbors, your coworkers, what's on TV to set your worth or do you want the God who loves you to set your worth? When you let God set your worth, that's when you become free from looking around and comparing to everything else because you don't have to do that anymore because you're very comfortable and confident and at peace and free with how much you're worth in your heavenly father's eyes. So when I was laying in bed with Elia, our our daughter, reading those children's books, you want to know You want to know what brought me back, what brought my blood pressure down, what brought my anxiety and stress down? And I don't want you to hear in what I'm about to say, like a a typical pastoral statement, okay? Because I was a a man, a human being before I was a pastor, okay? I just want you to hear just the words of a guy who just follows Jesus. That's what I want you to hear. What I remembered, what I heard, not audibly, but in God's spirit, in that moment, was that I was worth God's love. I was not worth what I could produce in an app on a phone or how good that app could be. And when you say it out loud, it seriously sounds ridiculous that you would put your worth in how good of an app, how good of a project that you could produce but instead you find your worth in God's love. 
Now, I realize for some of you, there's a little sliver of you that says, yeah, but Taylor, I listen to you on the app regularly, and I kind of like it, so it'd be really cool to have a new app. And listen, I'm, I'm with you. That's why we're doing it. Okay, we're all meeting digitally these days, and so, you know, we want to have a great way, great platform for you to connect. There's nothing wrong with an app, right? There's no good or bad morality necessarily with an app or with improvement or trying to make that better. The issue is what we talked about last week. The issue is priority. The issue is I would let my worth be defined first by that instead of first by God's love for me and God's love for you. Letting something else become the foundation for your value. Letting something else other than God's love become the lens at which you see the world and the filter by which you make your decisions every single day especially as we are in the midst of a challenging time, as we look at the challenges ahead to put the love of God and our worth in the love of God first and look through that filter as we engage with the decisions and the challenges that we we have ahead of us. So do you want your worth set by the world around you or the God who loves you? And next week, we're going to be talking about... um, uh, uh, dating and relationships. And so you need to make sure that your single friends and, and engaged friends and family members and even married friends and family, really just anybody, okay? Um, because this is just going to be great review for everybody. And we're not going to talk about this necessarily next week, but I just wanted to talk about our comparison topic in, through the lens of dating and relationships for a second, what we're going to talk about next week. Could it make a difference for you in the dating world, in the relationship world? If your worth was defined not by comparing to the world around you, but the God who loves you, do you think that would make a difference? That, well, just think about this. Have you ever compared yourself and how you view dating and the values and the rules and the boundaries that you set around dating? Have you ever set those based on what everybody else does? Have you ever, just consider this, have you ever... uh, set what you believe about dating because you just simply were comparing it to what other people do? And this is not criticism, but I I just want to ask you a couple questions. This is not criticism. Hear me. I'm not being critical. I'm just asking you to consider. Is your boundaries of exclusivity within the dating world like you know, maybe you got a, a girlfriend you're talking to over here, or a guy friend you're talking to over here, and maybe you got a one or two that you're kind of, you know, debating on, that kind of thing. That, that happens. I, I get that in today's dating world. But, but I just want you to think about, is that because that's what everybody else does or because those are really your values? That if someone said, what do you value? If your kids said, mom, dad, what do you value? Do you value exclusivity in the world of dating? Is that what you'd tell them? Or, or when it comes to, you know, um, moving in together, this is not criticism. This is just asking you to consider, are, are you moving in because that's just kind of what everybody else does? Or look at it this way. If nobody you knew lived with their girlfriend or boyfriend, would you? Nobody. And then you'd hang out with your friends and your friends would be like, that's weird. If it was weird for everybody else, would you be so inclined to do it? Or are you letting the world and you comparing to the world define your values and how you date and how you have your relationships? If, if it, when it comes 
to the values in your marriage and in your relationships? Are you defining it more on the world or on the fact that you are a son and daughter of God? Are you looking at the one in your life who you think maybe you'd spend the rest of your life with or, or the one in your life whom you are spending the rest of your life with? Would you look at them as a son and daughter of God or do you look at them through the lens of what everybody else is doing? Could it make a difference? Could it make a difference with how you treat, how you date, how you have relationships? Could it change the priorities in your life if it was more about God's love than it was about the world around you? A week after that, from Mother's Day, we're going to be talking about parenting, okay? Parenting, not a criticism. Again, just to ask you to consider how much you parent and how much of how you treat your kids and what you're doing in the realm of parenting is based on what other people are doing versus on what God has told you to be true. What you have read about God and you believe is true is how you parent more about your insecurities as you are insecure in your worth because of how everybody else is living their life. And if you are good enough, you're good enough mom, you're good enough dad, are you taking those cues from everybody around you or God, your father in heaven? What if your worth wasn't tied to your kids? What if you weren't in the trap of gratifying your kids to receive gratification from them? an affirmation from them and who you are as an individual? What if you received your worth from God, your father? Do you think parents who receive their worth from God, their father, versus from anywhere else are better or worse parents? Think about it. In the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of all the projects, challenges that we have, responsibility on our shoulders, inconveniences, temptations to compare every single day these days, do you think you'd handle it better or worse if you didn't look around but instead looked up? And you trusted that God's love had your back. Do you want your worth to be set by the world around you or the God who loves you? the world around you, or the God that loves you. And I just want you to consider which one do you think will free yourself from the comparison trap? The world around you or the God who loves you? If you would, wherever you are outside of driving, close your eyes, bow your heads with me for just a second, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, for pretty much all of us, the comparison trap is real. It is something with, that we struggle with every single day. It is something that has become almost natural in our lives that we, we don't even, we struggle to even recognize when it is happening, when our hearts are being controlled and moved and influenced by comparison rather than you and your love. And so, Lord, my prayer for all of us watching and participating online is that we would take this moment to put kind of a stake in the sand, this moment to consider seriously putting a stake in the sand and saying, this moment, from now on, I am putting my heart 
my faith, my trust, and my worth in the God who gave his son for me. That even if you're in your living room, even if the kids are screaming around you, even if you've got things to get done and projects to get accomplished after this, that in this moment you would for the first time in your life or maybe the second time or, or you make a recommitment right now to, to put your foot down, your heart down at the feet of God and say, my worth is how you love me, God, not in anything else that I will not let the world and everything around me, even though they're fine, even though there's nothing inherently wrong with it necessarily, but that is not the priority. That is not what is where my value is found. It's found in you and your love and your sacrifice of your son on the cross to pay my debts. I invite all of you at home or watching heads bowed, eyes closed, to make that commitment right in here, in our hearts and in our minds, that today is a day of new projects, of new beginnings with that as our foundation, of challenges ahead, that is our foundation, as temptations ahead, that is our foundation, that is our worth. Lord, help us Lord, we invite you in to our lives so that we can live that out going forward. Lord, there will be so many reasons when we close this browser window, when we shut off our phone, to get back to the norm, to get back to the world. Let us not forget. Let your spirit guide our hearts and our minds. Renew them daily as we move forward into some very practical and reasonable topics in the weeks to come and in the days and the weeks of our lives to come. Lord, give us the strength to not just make this a moment in time, a service, an hour. Make this a new life, a new beginning. In your name I pray. Amen.